My name's Jess. If I haven't met you before, hello, welcome. Um, before we get going this morning, I just wanted to pause and reflect back on last week because I'm aware that when we go through a teaching series, we can just go from one topic to the next without really stopping and going, what did I hear last week and has anything changed since last week after hearing um, the message? Um, so last week we were looking at knowing God in his word, which gave an amazing sermon about really digging deep into God's word, making time in our busy lives um, to take time out, basically, to study the word, read the word, be people of the word. Um, and Heather shared an amazing testimony. So I'm just going to invite Heather up and would love if you could share, Heather, um, kind of what has changed this week um, and what impact has that made for you? Um, and then we'll have a minute just to discuss for, for yourselves. Um, but what, what, what did you hear? What changed and what difference did it make? Thanks, Jess. Uh, don't encourage the vicar because you end up standing out the front. <laughs> um, last week, yeah, Rich was talking about um, reading the word of God in the Bible. And um, one of the things that he was uh, mentioning was how good it is to actually read, read the word and um, look at the Bible and not just see it on a screen. And that just struck with me this week because I've been trying to do um, the Bible in one year. It's not easy to do. It's the, the Nicky Gumbel one that Rich mentioned last week. There's loads to do, but using the app is, is great because you can whiz through quite quickly. Um, but it challenged me last week that he said it's just so much better if you actually get the word out and read it in your Bible. So this week, that's what I did. And we're looking at Job um, this week, which is not the easiest of Bibles. But again, you have loads to read through. But by reading it in my Bible, I really find it helpful. And it, it was much better to actually underline things that popped out to me nice and quickly. So I just wanted to share one little bit with you, um, which where poor old Job is being confronted with all these criticisms from his friends and his response to them is even this is um, chapter 16 verse 19 even now my witness is in heaven my advocate is on high my intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God on behalf of a man he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. And that verse just sort of hit me of just what a foretelling of Jesus in the Old Testament. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing. And Rich always encourages us to bring a paper copy to church. So maybe that's something you want to do. Um, so let's have a minute now. Share with someone that you've come with or the people behind you. What did you hear last week? Have you made any different kind of rhythms or routines this week? Um, and how has it changed? So we'll just have a minute to do that. And then, and then we'll crack on. Over to you.
Okay, so maybe something you want to discuss further at coffee at the end. Um, yeah, let's not lose what God's saying to us each week. I think it's really important to keep track of, you know, what we've heard, what difference is it making in our lives. Apparently a lot. People are really loving the chat. <laughs> we, we can continue after coffee, I promise. Um, so... The presence of God, that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. How do we know God? How do we get to know the presence of God? But first off, I want to know um, what divides your family? Do you have divisions in your family? Do you have maybe Marmite fans or Marmite haters? I'm a Marmite hater. Um, maybe sweet versus savory, you know, when you're choosing the snacks, sweet versus savory. Morning owls, night owls, I don't know if that divides a family. What about introvert, extrovert? Oh, that's quite a tough one, isn't it? Where are the extroverts this morning? Are you around? Shouting out, yeah, 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 yeah. Love that. Where are the introverts this morning? More introverts. And all the introverts. <laughs> All the introverts are like, why did you just ask us that? Now, I'm not stereotyping here. Jokes aside, often um, extroverts can be a bit more forthcoming and loud, Jordan. Or um, <laughs> introverts can be a bit more quieter. I mean, big stereotypes. Um, but I was thinking recently how much that can influence and impact how we see our spiritual life. Um, and I want us to think about this morning, how do we interact with the presence of God as both introvert and extrovert? What differences does it make? Now, I think quite a lot of us changed during the pandemic. Now, you'll be surprised to know I'm a massive extrovert. But I found in lockdown, in the pandemic, we had to learn, didn't we, how to be maybe more isolated, more on our own. If you were living on your own, you only really had your own company. Um, Extroverts, we, we crave that real connection. Zoom doesn't just quite cut it, does it? Maybe there are some introverts in the room that was like, lockdown was a dream. I just got to, you know, chill out, do what I wanted to do. But I think that when we um, box ourselves in sometimes, sometimes it's really helpful, sometimes it's really unhelpful. And I especially think that when it comes to encountering the presence of God. We were all designed to encounter him, to be known and loved by him. We were designed for a relationship with God. And that can look different for each of us. Our practices and our spiritual disciplines, they look different for each of us. And I wonder this morning where you're at with all of that stuff. What does it look like for you in your daily walk with Jesus to take time out and, and, and look upon his beauty, to rest in his presence. There's a um, famous French mathematician who I won't lie, I've never heard of before, but found a really interesting quote. So he was a, a mathematician and also he wrote doctrines. And he wrote this doctrine about God not just being head knowledge, but heart knowledge. It's called Blaise Pascal. Maybe you're thinking, I should have heard of him. Sorry, I hadn't. But the quote is, all of humanity's problems stem from mankind's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Some of the introverts are like, yes and amen. 
Um, and I think poor Blaise Pascal will be turning in his grave if he saw us now. Sitting in silence is quite, you know, 1662. Not quite sure if it's 2022. We live, don't we, in this digital age of noise and distraction. Things are fighting for our attention constantly, ready to teach us and inform us, but also to distract us, take our mind away from things. Silence is rare. I've realized recently how quickly I will come home and instantly put the radio on or press play on a podcast. Very rarely am I just silent going about the day-to-day tasks. And so maybe not all of humanity's problems stem from that, being silent. But it's interesting, isn't it, when it comes to God, where do we practice that silence and that stillness? One commenter quotes and Blaise Pascal and says this, We don't retreat from life's busyness and bustle as an end in itself. To sit quietly in a room alone, in Pascal words, is not an achievement, but an instrument, an opportunity to open our lives and souls to him for whom we were made, to know him and enjoy him. Not an achievement, but an instrument. This kind of intentional space allows God to speak, to minister, to recapture our imagination and our attentions. I'm talking about practicing the presence of God, to sit and wait and listen. We can't escape the presence of God, right? So what difference does it make practicing the presence of God? And I think the reason why I'm using that phrase is because it does take practice, takes trial and error, takes working out what ways do I really connect with God and what ways just totally distract me. I mean, the Holy Spirit is all around, living inside of us. When we say yes to Jesus, we are born again and his spirit makes his home in us. But what about the intentional time of paying attention to what he's saying, to what he's doing, to the truths he wants you to hear today. Why don't we make more time, more space in our busy lives to practice this? I think one of the reasons why we need to do it is basically because Jesus did it. Sunday school answer. But as we read through the Gospels, we see time and time again of Jesus moving himself away, taking himself out of the equation to find a quiet place and to be with God, to pray, to sit, to listen. So if Jesus did it, surely we should too. In Matthew, just as Jesus starts his um, ministry, he takes 40 days in the wilderness of fasting and prayer. He's tempted by Satan and And we see, don't we, the rebuke and the conversation that they have. And ultimately, that's preparing him for ministry. That's his time away. In Luke, we find him teaching at a lake, and he calls his first disciples. And it says, after that, Jesus withdrew. That was his source of strength, was withdrawing, being alone with the Father to pray. We read of another time where Jesus went up a mountain praying before he chose the rest of the disciples. 
is seeking discernment, asking God, what do I do about these decisions I've got to make the next day? Praying deep into the night. And that's when we see Jesus walk out on water when the disciples are in the storm. Jesus, time and time again, took himself away to a certain place, praying on his own and being with his Father. See, if it's important enough for Jesus to do, why aren't we doing it? You see, his custom was to find a place he could pray alone. He often prayed at dark, so like morning or night. Prayer formed the foundation of his ministry that he went on to do. He prayed before major decisions. He prayed with miraculous power and a beautiful relationship. He had unity with the Father. And we know, don't we, that he says that um, I only do what I see the Father doing. We read that in John. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because what the father does, the son also does. That beautiful connection that we read about. And before our brain goes into overdrive, before we start thinking, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough, I'm not enough... That is just so not what the presence of God is wanting from us. He's wanting our heart. It's a focus on our heart posture. It's not about a tick box exercise. It's not about looking super holy, showing off that we've done more time in the presence of God than anybody else. It's about what happens when we're there, when God speaks, when God moves us, when God teaches us. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. And when we're in his presence, we see things completely differently. We react differently. We see a heavenly perspective that we might not have seen before. We're restored and we're renewed. When we take time to center ourselves on the presence of God, on Jesus, everything else becomes clearer. Just like when you put your glasses on and all of a sudden the focus changes and you can see everything so much clearer, life begins to make more sense when we encounter the presence of God. And it's worth it. It's worth fighting for it. It's worth making time in our lives for him. It's life-giving. It changes things. It changes us. So why aren't we making more time for it? And I say that to myself. I say that to someone who desperately loves Jesus. I love being in his presence. And yet my to-do list can so often crowd out the time and the attention that I give to Jesus. So let's turn to our reading. Maybe you want to have it open in front of you. Luke 38, the home of Martha and Mary. I'm just going to read it again. As Jesus and his disciples were on the way, he came to the village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? 
Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will, be not, it will not be taken away from her. So to give some context here in where we are in the, in the gospel story, Jesus and his disciples are making their way towards Jerusalem. Jesus' ministry is making more and more waves. His name is spreading. But ultimately, his return to Jerusalem signifies his death is drawing closer. And it's interesting that Luke chooses to put this story here. Just before it, we've read about the Good Samaritan. And just after it, the disciples are asking, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus um, shares about the Lord's Prayer. I think it's interesting that this story, Mary and Martha, holds the two intention. Here we see Martha hosting, hosting Jesus, making food, making drinks. She's the doer, right? She's swept up in all the practical needs. And then we have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I think the story is placed here because it helps us keep some things in perspective. Often Martha gets a bad rap, doesn't she? But hosting takes a lot. I've realized that. It takes a lot of juggling, drink making, cooking. It's a lot. I get Martha. But maybe Luke here is trying to highlight how easy it is to just do, just focus on loving our neighbor, on serving the poor, on injustice, which is all good and proper and needed. But we can just become doers for God, just people that get tired and weary because all we're doing is doing and then we see the the disciple saying Jesus teach us how to preach how to preach how to pray teach me how to preach and that's Mary's position isn't it sitting at the feet of Jesus longing to hear more of his teachings sitting at the feet of this rabbi choosing to stay and listen, choosing time with Jesus over everything else. And there are three things that I want to just draw out from Mary's posture. The first one is a posture of attention. Mary chose to sit at his feet, to gaze up at Jesus, to listen, to stop, to fix her own attention on Jesus prioritizing time with him, listening, watching. It's interesting in the, in the verse, in 39, um, the, the tense is like a, is a doing word. It's of absorbing Jesus' word. She's not just listening. She's like actively absorbing the words of Jesus. Wouldn't that change how we read our Bibles? Actively absorbing, not just reading through actively absorbing the words of Jesus. And I've been asking myself, what am I absorbing if I'm not absorbing Jesus, if I'm not absorbing God's word? You know, when we wake up and the first thing we look at is our smartphones, is our devices, already our brains are going to the tasks of the day, to the news, to the Instagram scrolling where we get lost. And here Mary is taking the time 
to sit. Martha was trying to make the whole thing happen. And here we see Mary stopping. I found it really interesting as well that by by Mary doing that, she was breaking every boundary there would have been because Mary was behaving as if she was a man, sitting at the feet of Jesus where only men were allowed to be. Martha was taking her place up in the kitchen and in that culture there was divides amongst genders. There was kind of like male spaces and female spaces. Mary had crossed an invisible line here. She'd chosen to sit at Jesus' feet, ignoring the boundaries of what the cultural norm would have said. What does Jesus say? Mary has chosen best. And I love it because I think Mary stands there for women and goes, you're included here as well. You're part of this. It's a side passion maybe that I just feel so excited about. But what an example of Mary saying, no, no, don't get consumed by the roles and the to-do list. Choose to sit at Jesus' feet. The second posture that I wanted to look at is a posture of worship, of kneeling before Jesus. What does that look like for us today? kneeling and and choosing again to give all of ourselves to Jesus, to worship in his presence, to seek his voice above every other voice. And I do feel like often hearing from God is like an old school radio where you're turning the dial to try and get the right frequency. And sometimes you have real clarity and other times it can just feel like total airwaves crackle. But I think the more you do it, the more we listen out for what God might be saying, the clearer and clearer he gets. Worship is a gateway. Praise is a gateway. And for me, that's ultimately what marks me kind of practicing the presence of God. It's sitting in stillness and worshipping Jesus. When I feel anxious or stressed, that's the place I go to. Sometimes it's in stillness, sometimes it's in silence. Other times it's in cranking up worship music really loud and belting it out. I sing, I pace, I rant, I shout, I might cry, I might laugh. But this posture for me isn't... um, an optional extra, it's a must in my life. Practicing the presence of God, I know, changes me, changes perspectives. I do battle in those moments, battle between what I think I should be doing and what God's saying I should be doing. Battle between the lies that the enemy is constantly feeding us to what the truth of what God says. How could you include that in your quiet times, in your walks with God. Maybe it might look like for you is pure stillness and silence on top of a Malvern Hill and just like glorifying God in his beauty. Maybe stillness doesn't work for you. Maybe you have to run. Maybe you have to practice the presence of God by, by running and moving and saying yes to Jesus all over again. 
But whatever it is, how are we prioritizing it? And the last thing is a posture of surrender. Laying aside all the other things that we could be doing. Mary could be helping Martha, could be making food, could be hosting, serving. But she chooses to sit. And so what about Martha? As I said before, she often gets a bad rep, doesn't she? Like, oh, Martha's a doer and Martha isn't as, you know, holy. But I think there's something really beautiful in how Jesus kind of calls her back. He says her name twice. He says, Martha, Martha. That repetition conveys Jesus' affection for her, of an understanding, of saying, come on, don't worry. You've been distracted by all the things. That's okay. Martha, Martha, come, come sit. Come be reminded of how gentle I am, of how kind I am, of how much I love you. See, that's another thing we're so good at doing is beating ourselves up, isn't it? Saying we're not good enough of, oh, I've messed up again. And here we see the beauty of Jesus' grace, his kindness, his love, his gentleness of calling us back to himself. Brother Lawrence has written the famous book, Practicing the Presence of God. This quote really stood out for me this week. He says, the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons, at every moment, without limiting the conversation in any way. Every moment we're in his presence. Every moment we're we're lovingly talking to Jesus. We're, We're processing the day. We're acknowledging that he has gone before us, that he is with us. Every moment we're in his presence. How would that alter how we go about our our days? And I was thinking, I, I so understand how life stage affects this. So understand how easy it is to have all these different pools of your time and your attention. And I was reading this amazing book um, called The Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren, and we'll send out like a recommended list. She talks about sacred making everyday practices sacred. And she was talking about how she um, was never really a person that made her bed. She said, I didn't understand why it was important. You're just going to get back into it later. Some people in the room now are going to be like, who is she? But she didn't want to do it. And she talks about making her bed into a spiritual discipline of stopping every morning when she wakes up and gets out of bed, of making it and then sitting at the bottom of it and choosing to breathe deeply and make herself aware of the presence of God before she leaves her bedroom, before she goes on with the rest of the day. And she talks about how that has become a rhythm and a practice in her life. And it's not always a mega God moment. It's not always lightning bolts in the sky but it's a practice of every day before she starts her day 
of choosing to just tune in again to the presence of God. Those are precious, precious moments in our days. And maybe that looks different for you. Maybe with little children clambering into bed, making the bed isn't as peaceful as it could be. Maybe there are other moments, and all through her book, she talks about how like eating leftovers can be a spiritual practice, how like losing your keys and finding them can be a spiritual practice. I would really recommend the book. But the presence of God marks us and sets us apart. And to finish, I think the important thing for us to realize is that the presence of God, yes, is, is for us and our personal walk with Jesus. But it also sets us apart as the people of God. Sets us apart, it marks us differently. And in this season, I've kept coming back to um, when Moses is talking with God and says, you know, I'm not going to go from here unless your presence goes with me. And that's kind of marked this season for us as a church. Constantly going, we're not going to move on to the next thing unless the presence of God goes with us, before us, directs our path. You see, the presence of God helps us to live differently. It's recognized. People can see something different in how we live when we're people of the presence of God. What does that mean for you and for me? What does that mean for our neighbors and our streets? We carry the presence of God where we go. What difference could that make? How does the city of Worcester look differently? Because we're here and because we believe that God changes things. It's pretty cool, isn't it? But the presence of God does all of this and yet reminds us on an individual level how known and seen and valued we are. And you'll have heard us talk before about the discipline of silence, solitude, and stillness. You've heard it said probably many times, but I, I want to end on thinking about how could we incorporate that into our lives, of taking time out each day to fix our gaze on Jesus. I'm desperate for his presence. I'm desperate to be changed I'm desperate for people to encounter what I've encountered because it's here that changes things. It's in his presence that we are, are, are told who we are. It's not an optional extra. And so what does a posture of attention to Jesus look like? How can we posture ourselves in worship how can we posture ourselves in surrender of saying we can't do any of this stuff without you, Jesus? Knowing God through his presence is the greatest gift. I really believe it will change and transform us as we press in as a church family, as we choose again to say yes as we make time in our busy lives to practice the presence of God, I believe it's going to change us and mark us for the next season. So shall we do that now? Shall we pray together? Shall we wait on God? Shall we ask him to speak to us? Because this is where transformation happens. This is where change happens.
So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us and pray that Holy Spirit will come and meet with us. So I'm just going to invite the band. Maybe you'd like to stand. Maybe it would be helpful to, to put your hands out. I don't know, whatever works for you.